0: we are continuing in our series on the beginnings if you're visiting with us this morning if it's your first time at Hope Chapel we have just started a, a series studying the four gospels and starting this series in just looking at the beginnings of each of the four gospels we began with the gospel of mark simply the very first verse of the gospel of mark Mark says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark would introduce us then to the good news about Jesus Christ, and then in the succeeding verses and passages of his gospel, he would go on to explain that good news. And then that good news was beautifully summarized by John in the prologue to his gospel, his first 18 verses when we're introduced to the Word of God, and the Word became flesh. And now we turn to Luke's beginning, uh, Luke's prologue, Luke's introduction to his gospel. And in his own introduction, he writes to a man by the name of Theophilus. And he writes to Theophilus, he says, in order to provide a more complete narrative, a more orderly and complete account of the life and the work of the incarnate Word of God, Jesus the Christ. So with that, let's read those first four verses together this morning. Luke's introduction. He says, "...many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word." Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Question. As a Christian, are you certain of the things that you have been taught? Are you certain? Do you have doubts about some things that you've been taught? Are you uncertain about some things that you've been taught? challenge for us is we live by faith, not by sight. And most often, uh, everything we see seems counterintuitive to what we read and to what we're, we're taught to believe. doesn't make sense. So that can very easily lead to uncertainties and doubts about what we have been taught. Is your Christian life wobbly, or is it stable and strong? Are you maturing as a Christian? Are you growing as a Christian? Are you seeing more fruit being born in and through your life? There are people who are known for certain qualities in their life. There are people who are known for things like being precise, precision. People who are known for being accurate. People who are known for the truth. So are you a person who is known for precision, accuracy, truth in your life? Or are you someone who is known for less than those things. There are people who kind of just go along with hearsay. There are people who give evidence of just speculation. They're just speculating. Or who are given to rumor and gossip. The tragedy is that the church today, the modern church, is, is full of people who are given to those latter qualities. People are just simply speculating. People who are not precise and given to the truth and accurate in terms of their understanding and their commitment to their faith and their study of the scriptures. And this is is Luke's point to Theophilus and by extension to all the rest of us. There are people who make it their business to deal with, in the facts. Isn't that true? Scientists, for the most part. now we know that everyone has their spin and their bias, but, but, but for the most part, I think you'll agree with me that scientists belong in the category of people who are committed to precision and accuracy and truth. They will check the data and they'll conduct experiments. They test their theories to, to draw conclusions We'd like to think that everyone's totally objective. We know that's not true, but for the most part, that's the the purpose. that's That's the direction. Detectives. Detectives, too, they work hard to discover the truth. They carefully gather, analyze evidence. They follow the clues in order to solve the crime. They've got to know what the truth is. Add to that mix judges who would weigh testimony, hear arguments, and consider the law before rendering their verdicts. Historians also strive to be accurate, to know precisely what happened at a certain time in a certain place. And surely doctors can stand with this group. With informative tests, diagnostic expertise, they examine patients, draw conclusions and hopefully prescribe appropriate treatments. Luke wanted only the truth. Luke was a historian. And his research, by his own testimony here, would be meticulous. He would interview reliable witnesses, indeed eyewitnesses and primary sources. That's what he tells us. He was very meticulous. He, he went with Paul on, on, his missionary couple, on his last missionary journey. He was with Paul in Jerusalem. He was with Paul in Rome. He knew Mark. He knew Mary. Can you imagine interviewing Mary? Mary, I'm writing a gospel. Can you tell me about the early days? Tell me about that visit by the angel. Can you give me the details? Can you fill in some blanks for me? Wow. Meticulous. Paul tells us in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that, uh, that Luke was also a doctor. He, he calls him Luke the doctor. So presumably, as a doctor, as a man of science, he would also, from that vantage point, carefully consider all the facts before rendering an opinion. So what what we have here in Luke's gospel, by his own testimony, is a result of careful, serious evaluation. He wants to be accurate in his rendering of the truth. He addresses a man by the name of Theophilus. The very name means uh, one who loves God. And while that certainly may be a, a general term for all believers... I think it's safe to see that it is a proper name. So I think he's, he's identifying a particular man, especially given the title he assigns to him, Most Excellent Theophilus, indicating, presumably, that he's talking to uh, a particular person and a person of some rank or disti- distinction. In fact, he uses, uh, he, in latter chapters of the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul is, is before the Roman governors Festus and Felix, uh, Paul's interview, he addresses Festus and Felix, uses the very same term, most excellent Festus, most excellent Felix. So this person, Theophilus, must be a, a person of some rank, of some importance. And presumably he's probably a Gentile. Luke wants to assure Theophilus of the certainty of the truth, of the things that he had been taught. He's going to try to fill in all the blanks, if you will, for Theophilus. Theophilus, no doubt, had learned some of the facts of the gospel. But he desired further understanding. I remember as a a brand new Christian, I became a Christian in 1977. And uh, literally a whole new world had opened up to me. Uh, I had never in my life read the Bible. I, 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 I knew there was a Bible. I knew there was a God. I, I never disbelieved in God. I was never an atheist. But I didn't understand what the Bible taught because I had never read it, never studied it. And I became a Christian, and I, I came to this church, and uh, I, I just I was I was utterly amazed. And, and growing up in the tradition that I grew up in, when we went to church, you never saw Bibles. People didn't bring Bibles. And all these people have Bibles. And they're got their Bibles open. And, and they teach from the Bible. And they're explaining the Bible. I was just thrilled. And I began to learn some things. And, and then some people invited me to some Bible studies. We didn't have many church back in those days. We didn't have growth <laughs> groups like we do today. But there were just some sporadic uh, Bible studies. And, and, and I was fortunate enough to be invited to two Bible studies. And I, I just couldn't get enough. And, and so I was learning some things. I was being taught some things. But there were huge blanks in my understanding and I desired to know more, I hungered to know more, and it was at that juncture uh, that Hope Chapel Ministries Institute started. I believe God did it just for me, and I was thrilled for the 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 menu of courses and classes that were offered, and the the quality of the teaching was was uh, practically, se- in fact, it was seminary level, because I ended up going to uh, the seminary that some of the guys who were teaching in our Ministers Institute were from. And I, I was just, I couldn't get enough. And so Luke could just as easily been talking to me. I want you to be certain of the things you've been taught. I want to fill in the blanks for you. I want to confirm for you the truth. I want you to be be knowledgeable about the, about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of us have questions. I still have questions. There's still things. After 30-plus years of, of studying the Bible, there's still things that I don't really fully grasp and understand, that, that are, uh, you have to hold in tension. And for everybody it looks to Jesus, everybody, there, there are things that are, are difficult to grasp. Things that don't seem to match the world we see. Things that we just need confirmed to us. Is that true? Is that, do you find that to be true? The world, the world doesn't know who Jesus is, really. There are people, professing Christians, who really don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus himself said to his own disciples, Who do the people say I am? So there's a there's a fundamental question: Who is Jesus? Who exactly is Jesus? Is he just a prophet? Is he a good guy? Is he a good teacher? Is he the best man that ever lived? Who is he? Why did he come? Where did he come from? What was his purpose? What did he do? What does he want from me? These are, these are basic questions that the gospel account would address. But they're yet, those are fundamental questions, and yet there are other questions, and particularly for the audience that Luke writes to. Most scholars believe that Luke is writing primarily to a Gentile audience. Theophilus is a Gentile, probably a Roman of some rank. And through him, he's writing to Gentiles. And so there would be some questions that the Gentiles might have. Um, And Luke would seek to answer these questions. Uh, What's the relationship of Jesus to the Gentiles? Now, you and I... With with much more understanding, this would not so much be a difficult issue, a difficult problem. But you put yourself in the first century. What is Jesus' relationship to the Gentiles? Theophilus being a Gentile would probably wonder how did an originally Jewish movement become the basis for an offer of salvation now to Gentiles? I mean, after all, Jesus was what? He's a Jew. But then as you look in a little bit deeper into, into his life and his experience, and you're asking yourself, well, how do the Gentiles actually fit in? How do Gentiles actually belong? And if Jesus was originally the Messiah for Israel, how is it that he met with so much opposition from his own people that they crucified him? How does that work? Even more, how could a crucified Jewish Messiah become the basis for hope? For all of humanity. How could that be? How can an absent, slain figure be the center of God's great hope and purpose? These are monumental questions that no doubt someone like Theophilus might have. And so, Luke addresses him. If you return back with me to verses 3 and 4 of his introduction. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. There isn't a single one of us that wouldn't benefit by somebody helping clarify some things for us, things that we know or we think we know or maybe we don't know that we need to know. Isn't that true? To reassure his friend and certainly all other believers who, who never had the opportunity to see Jesus themselves. Luke's investigation included analyzing accounts and reports and especially those of eyewitnesses in order to confirm the truth Of Jesus Christ the world is full of stories is it not full of stories some stories are are compelling some are not quite so compelling some are moving many impactful in one way or another and there are a few stories that are even capable of profoundly changing how people think and how people live isn't that true Many stories have come and gone throughout history. Some have hung on. From the legends of the ancient world to the myths of past civilizations, the fanciful stories surrounding the the gods of ancient Greece and Rome, to the classics of literature like Aesop's Fables, Shakespeare, Harry Potter. But there is one enduring and true story that stands above all the rest, the life of Jesus Christ. That story has been called the greatest story ever told. This is the compelling and glorious story of how God purposed in eternity past to save lost sinners from an eternal hell. Wow, simple story, and yet so powerful. His gracious, loving plan was to send his son to be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all who would put their faith in him. For all who would believe in Jesus, they could be saved, their sins would be forgiven. Amen? Isn't that that marvelous? Jesus, as Paul wrote to the Romans, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Not enough that he died, he had to be raised. Without his death, there's no forgiveness of sins, without his resurrection, there's no justification. Both are absolutely, absolutely incredibly important. This is part of what, no doubt, Luke would confirm for Theophilus. John wrote concerning Jesus that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died once for all, once for all time, once for all men, once for all sin. That doesn't mean that salvation is universal for everybody. Salvation is dependent on the fact that you would believe what he says, what he did. Jesus' death is sufficient for all, is efficient for those who would believe. Understand the difference between sufficiency and efficiency. Because all have sinned. All have sinned. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God, the gospel message of salvation from sin and judgment in Christ alone completely then would transcend all the limitations of culture and time and definitely determines every person's eternal destiny. It's the gospel. It's imperative that we confirm the gospel the good news Jesus said whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life now notice this next phrase for god's wrath what remains on him we are conceived in sin we are guilty before god Because we are by nature sinners. We sin because we are sinful. We are born with a sin nature, a bent, an inclination towards sin, away from God. And it takes God giving us a new nature by being born again. And if we reject Jesus, the only avenue, the only person through which we can attain this new nature and this forgiveness and new life, we reject jesus god's wrath remains on us his guns of judgment continue to be trained on us aren't you glad for salvation acts chapter 4 verse 12 luke records peter's words this is a tremendous passage peter says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What name is that? Jesus. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Krishna. It's not Elron Ron Hubbard. It's not Mary Baker Eddy. It's not Joseph Smith. It's not, you know, the litany of names of people who started and founded religious movements and philosophies and groups. It's not the Maharishi Mushimishi. There's only one name. In this this age of religious pluralism that we live in, philosophical pluralism, everybody believes a myriad of things. It's imperative that we know the truth. It's imperative if we are to communicate the truth that we know the truth. That we're accurate and precise in our understanding and our knowledge not kind of mushy and and wishy-washy and, well, you know, I think the Bible says something like. These four verses in Luke's introduction are one long sentence. We have it punctuated with periods and such. But in the original Greek autograph, the original Greek manuscript, it's one long sentence written in a very, very polished style of a Greek literary classic. So this is the language, the Greek that that Luke writes in is a high-class kind of Greek. He's not writing in what's known as Koine Greek. Koine Greek was the common spoken Greek of the day. This is the the Greek of of, of the classic writers. And in the scholarly writings of the Greek and Roman world, Uh, Such prologues as Luke introduces his gospel with explain the writer's sources, purposes, and approach. It was common for these writers of classic materials uh, to to write up front, give you this introduction, give you the same kind of prologue. This is is what I'm doing. This is where I got my information and so forth. Not so, you'll see this with the other gospel writers. But Luke takes great pains to write in this kind of way. So his prologue, then, would mark his gospel as a serious literary and historical work. And it would command, therefore, the attention and the respect of even the most sophisticated, well-educated Gentile reader. So this is, this is a significant work, the gospel written by Luke. Would you agree with me that if you're to serve Christ, you must be prepared? Must be prepared. I mean, you know, after coming to the church for any length of time, that, that we, we are high on biblical literacy. We make it a point. We teach out of the Bible. Uh, we have classes. We're constantly encouraging people to upgrade their biblical knowledge, understanding, comprehension, to, to know the word, to know the truth. So I submit to you, if we're going to serve Christ, I think it's imperative that, that we be educated, that we know the truth, and not in some kind of generalized way, that we know it in a, in a, in a way that, that, that is detailed, precise. Right, Tui? That we must study the word. How many of you have ever heard me say that? We must study the Word. We must investigate it. We must search it out. We must become, if you will, conversant with the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not enough that you and I profess belief, quote-unquote, become a Christian, walk the aisle, get baptized, and that's it. I'm a Christian. No, no, no. You want to press into your faith. You want to press into the Word of God. You want to grow in your faith. Christianity does not say, look, it, uh, we just expect you to close your eyes and take a leap of faith. No. That's not what Christianity all is all about. All these other religions say that, basically. Believe, just believe in some mystical kind of a thing. We, do not, we are not asked, and, and, and neither do we ask people, to take a blind leap of faith. Rather, our belief is based on historical fact. This is what Luke is saying. I looked and investigated the facts. It's based on historical fact. We have a reasonable historical basis to believe the Bible. This is not a blind leap in the dark. Luke says, I want you to have all the facts, Theophilus, so that you may be certain of what you have been taught, so that you might be certain of what you have believed. Confirmed. Confirmed. Oh, I understand. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, thank you. For Luke no half-hearted investigation would do. But not only for Luke, that should be be for all of us. Would you agree? No half-hearted investigation. If your faith is half-hearted, it's because you have not been compelled by the truth. If your faith is half-hearted, it's because you have not been compelled by the truth the truth compels us when you know the truth it compels you you cannot ignore it when someone confronts you with the truth it affects your life does it not if your life is your faith is half-hearted it's probably because you've not thoroughly investigated the facts for yourself that you can know the truth it's one thing to be taught but it's a whole nother thing to study yourself to confirm the truth. It's a whole nother thing to dig in the Bible yourself. You can study, you can, you can study with somebody and someone can teach you and teach you and that's wonderful. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had marvelous teachers. But they challenged me, they challenged me to dig myself. I had to write Papers. I had to do projects, research projects. I had to study Greek and Hebrew. My wife will testify to the many hours I was sitting at our kitchen table doing studies. And she would tiptoe around. My son is in seminary. He's having to dig out of the scriptures himself. Though he's sitting at the feet of of tremendous men who teach and lecture and so forth. You sit in a church and you can sit at the feet of marvelous Bible teachers, inspiring preachers. And you can go away and you can say, wow, wasn't that great? Oh man, God really spoke to me. Then by Tuesday, you're going, What now what what was that? (laughs) But when you study yourself, when you dig yourself, when you investigate yourself, when you put the time in yourself, every one of us have done this. (gasps) Isn't that true? (gasps) You've been brought up short. The scriptures, God has spoken to you. This is the living word of God. He will speak. And when he does speak, that's yours. You will never forget it. You underline it. When you approach the scriptures, the word of God, Approach, just simply if you're going to read the Bible, much less than study it, just if you're going to read it, approach it with a sense of expectation. When I read my Bible, I have it here. Before I open, I say, God, talk to me! And I do it with Expectation. Come at the scriptures with a sense of energy, intensity. Oh, I have to do my Bible reading today. (laughs) No! I know that's what your flesh wants. But you've got to say to your flesh, No, we are going to mine the richness of God's word today. Much more exciting than just boring old Bible reading. Paul tells Timothy. He says, do your do your very best. Do your best to present yourself as one approved. Wow. Well, well that was Timothy. That you know, he was a pastor. He's supposed to do that. No, no, it's for all of us. We should all be people who are doing our best to present ourselves approved. A workman who is what? Not ashamed. And a workman who who knows how to handle the word of God, the word of truth. Far, Far too many Christians are timid in their Christian life. Timid, afraid. Unsure. Uncertain. Kind of, they have a global sense of, of, of truth and knowledge and understanding, but, but in terms of specifics, woefully short. Embarrassed to share the word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes this, all Scripture is God-breathed, meaning it's, it's inspired by God. God's the source of it. All Scripture. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I, I submit to you that Scriptures are sufficient. They're sufficient for life. They're sufficient for godliness. Do our best. Luke sets the pace. He says, I've thoroughly investigated all these things. Luke's gospel is a record. It's a record to establish the truth. He states his purpose clearly so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Theophilus had already heard. He'd already been taught. He already believed. He but he needed to know, the, he needed to be absolutely certain of the things that he had been taught. Isn't it great when, when things are confirmed to you? More so, when you read them yourself and you go, oh man, I get it. Luke's account of Jesus is the absolute truth. And we can know, we, we can know the certainty of these things also. Hearing the things of Christ, even being instructed in them, may I submit to you, is not enough. We are to study and to learn for ourselves if we are to know the absolute certainty of these things. In the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, Luke, also writing, he speaks of a a, a particular community of people. They're called the Bereans. Have you ever heard of them? And he says of the Bereans, and, and, and he's describing because the, Paul's missionary journeys took him through Thessalonica, then to Berea. And Luke says, he says, now the Bereans were more noble character than the Thessalonians. Now the Thessalonians were amongst Paul's favorite people. All you have to do is read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you read the introductions, and he loves these people. He just commends them, they bless him. And yet Luke says, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians for they received the message with great eagerness. Now, do you suppose the Thessalonians also received the message with great eagerness? Yeah. But what set the Bereans apart? Ah, the second part. He goes on to say, and they examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul Said was true. <laughs> now, you and I, from our vantage point, we go, Whoa, Paul, you're going to check Paul out? Can you imagine if we could have Paul here as a guest speaker? What if we could have Paul here as a guest speaker? Would that be cool? Would you make sure you're here in church on this Sunday? We're having the Apostle Paul here next Sunday guest speaker, you might want to come. We're going to Paul Paul at the men's retreat, guys. Would you come? <laughs> so Paul's here, and he's teaching. Would you hang on every single word? I mean, would you hang on every single word? Would you... <gasps> and then, would you search the scriptures to make sure that what he said was true? Probably not. It's Paul! Are you a Berean? Are you a Berean? Are you searching the scriptures to confirm to make certain the things that you've been taught? How much assurance do you have? How much assurance with well, what assurance? You need to search the scriptures. Do you know that you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ? I mean, do you know it? Not intellectually as much as you know that you're a child of your birth parents do you know with all certainty that the bible is the word of god see if you're not sure of these things if you wobble back and forth and you say things like you know i'm not i'm not sure about my salvation i'm not sure god loves me i'm not sure the bible is sufficient I'm not sure I have enough faith. How much faith do you need, Selena? How much faith do you need? Somebody said, you just need faith the size of what? I don't have enough faith, Pastor. Not having enough faith is not your problem. That's not your problem. Your problem is that you don't know enough. Faith comes by what? Hearing the message and the message of Christ. Hearing meaning taking it in, meditating on it, listening to it, paying attention to it. The more you study your Bible, the more you study your Bible, your faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's undeniable. You come away going, Oh, that's that's it. That's and you find yourself compelled because you know the truth. It's just not me telling you or 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 Jeff telling you, or Steve telling you, or Kevin telling you, or any of the other pastors. It's it's because you have studied yourself and you've found and seen it. You see, if you really know the Word of God, you would believe it. I'm constantly amazed by people who said to me, oh, I've read the Bible. Oh, you read the Bible? I've been a Christian for, I don't know, a long time. I read the Bible. I'm still reading the Bible. Don't tell me you read the Bible and you just dismissed it. What a foolish, foolish thought! Because if you know the Bible, you know the Word of God. You would believe it. What? Because it compels you to believe it. You can't not believe it. You go, like I said to you before, just read the Gospels. The more you read the Gospels, the more you fall in love with Jesus. You cannot not fall in love with Him. And the more you believe it, you find yourself acting on it. You find yourself being transformed. You find yourself being like the the man of Psalm 1. Blessed is that man who delights in the law of God and meditates on His Word day and night. In his life, he'll be like a, a tree planted firmly by streams of water that yields its fruit and seasons. Leaf does not wither. You'll act on it. And as you act on it, you'll be useful in the hands of God and you will be fruitful. If there's anything you and I as Christians should aspire to, it's to be fruitful. I want my life to count. I want my life to bear fruit to His glory. Among the essential things that marked the life of the early church the essential things that mark the life of the early church. Uh, Luke, again, reminds us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. He said, those early believers devoted themselves to a number of things, but more particularly, devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, to the Word of God. You can just do a study on the word devoted. What does that mean? What are the implications of being devoted to something? And then you look at at what happened to history because of those early Christians who were devoted to these things and more particularly devoted to the apostles' teaching. They turned the Roman Empire right side up. If, in fact, the Bible is so important to Christian living, is that a fair statement? The Bible is so important, it's critical to Christian living. If that's true, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to build it into our lives? Can we say with the psalmist, your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path? Most excellent Theophilus, most excellent church, may I commend to you a thorough study of the word of god amen. amen father thank you we love you again this morning and lord we pray in all things your will be done don't let us miss your will god we know that that is the very best i'm gonna ask the elders to come down front for as we prepare to dismiss if you need prayer if you'd like somebody to pray a blessing over you if you need to confess sins you want to become a Christian, just come forward, meet with one of our elders they 'll pray with you. Turn to your neighbor as we prepare to conclude our service. Turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor one thing that meant that, that 's a takeaway for you from this morning, one thing that you that, that, that was important to you, and then, as you do that, pronounce a blessing on your neighbor then let 's stand together and sing god 's praises one more time before we dismiss. Amen. Thy work is a lamp to my feet and a light.